0: Welcome to the HR Happy Hour Show with Steve and Trish. Trish, you are infamous for getting up and starting to work and not taking a break for any reason. So here's my question of the day, Trish. What is the very last thing you ate or drank today?
1: I actually just had breakfast here at noon central time and I had eggs and toast. I made a proper breakfast today. So yeah, Two eggs over easy and two slices of toast, but that's almost unheard of. Yep. I don't know. I, yep. I rarely eat. It'll be like four in the afternoon. And I'll be like, oh, I probably should eat something. And then I eat like, you know, a Reese's peanut butter egg or something. So well,
0: how about yeah. you? Well, I had breakfast eat- earlier today, Trish, this is uh, for the first time I'm having a cold brew, high brew coffee in a can called oh. Mexican vanilla flavor. Cause I felt like I needed more caffeine here for the afternoon right. session of today. It's quite nice. I've never had this before. It's quite enjoyable. So shout out. Is it to you good? On.
1: Yeah. Wonderful. Well, when we have our guest come on, we'll have to ask her what her uh, We will. Her meal of choice was today to prepare for this wonderful interview.
0: Yeah, we're going to have a great show today. We're going to talk about people analytics technology specifically, which uh, I don't think we've talked about in quite a while on the show. So it'll be good to get back into that topic. But first, Trish, I think we got to thank our sponsors.
1: We do um, this. This episode of the HR Happy Hour is sponsored by Paychex, one of the leading providers of HR, payroll, retirement, and insurance solutions for businesses of all sizes. With the onset of COVID, Paychex quickly responded to support businesses and help them manage the new challenges brought on by the pandemic. The Paychex COVID nineteen Help Center is the ultimate comprehensive resource hub, featuring articles, videos scenario tools, live webinars, and podcasts that provide valuable and up-to-date insights on stimulus measures, managing your remote or hybrid workforce, travel restrictions, state-specific guidance, and more. And you can find it at PayX dot M E slash help center. And I'll tell you, you and I have both used this multiple times since they've instituted this. So I can attest that as a small business owner, it's helpful. I know it also helps, you know, mid midsize and large companies as well, but I think we even appear on one of the podcast episodes with them. Didn't we, Steve?
0: We did yeah.
1: last summer. So yeah, it's been fun. And um, the, the best part to me is honestly that that state guidance that they keep up to date, like to the minute. So, um, really good resource for anyone who does payroll or HR recruiting, that sort of thing. So yeah,
0: absolutely. So thank out. you to Paycheck. So Trish, our guest today, returning to the HR happy hour show is station. Triumphantly Barr. returning, triumphantly returning. She's the co-founder <laughs> and principal analyst at red thread research. Stacia is a researcher and thought leader on talent management, leadership, d people analytics, and HR technology. Her, her work has appeared in Fortune, Forbes, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, and plenty more. She co-founded Red Thread Research in 2018 after leading talent research for eight years at Burson by Deloitte. Before Burson, she conducted research at CEB Gartner, and she has an MBA from the University of California, Berkeley, and a master's degree from the London School of Economics. Stacia. Welcome back to the show. How are you?
2: I'm great, Steve. I'm. It's good to see you and Trish. It's been way too long.
0: So I feel like it's be been about a year or so since you came on the show, roughly. I didn't look it up specifically, so. but what a year it's been, if, if I'm right about that.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's about right, and it sure has been. I am... Um, uh, I'm excited to be on the hopeful side of things now, you know, you think about a year ago and where we were and so much uncertainty and now we're, it feels so much more optimistic. So, so it's a good place. We're in a good place.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Optimism is the key. So station, before we get into some of the research and some of the findings, uh, what was uh, your uh, last uh, food or drink tonight? It's It's kind of <laughs> midday. Hopefully you've had something.
2: Yeah, I was actually thinking about it. so. Um, so I'm one of the lucky few that actually has had my kids in school for a long time. So, uh, but that means that the, we're back in the quick drop off, turnaround to jump on a call kind of thing. Oh, and so I literally <laughs> just grabbed like a grocery store donut. Oh, and- <laughs> they're good. I love those. <laughs> they are so good. Like you know, you kind of mm. you. there's something to be said for the custom you know like Krispy Kreme or whatever but just Mm. that grocery store donut sometimes it hits the spot and that's what it did
0: for me today sure does sure does all right cool Stacey, maybe we can set up the conversation but maybe give us a little bit of an overview of the research that you and the team at Red Thread did in 2020 on people analytics tech kind of what you were looking to find and then we'll dig into some of what you did find
2: Yeah, sure. So we have been looking at people analytics tech really since we launched Red Thread. And so this was the second iteration of this people analytics tech landscape study, where we were trying to understand, you know, what's happening in this market. When we started, it was even just definitional, like what is a people analytics technology and who, you know, what are all the animals in the zoo and how do we categorize them? So that was kind of the 2019 version. And then, you know, 2020, we thought we were just going to refine. that, et cetera, right? And then everything happened. And so so what we ended up doing was really trying to understand how all these different technologies were helping HR leaders and people analytics leaders respond to COVID-19 and then to the social justice movements that we saw across last summer. And so a lot of what we talked about was, one, the change from 2019 to 2020, but then also just how the market responded to customer needs and the significant changes we saw.
1: Yeah. I'm so glad that you, that you're taking this on. I know, you know, as an analyst myself and Steve as well, it's like, we all cover such different areas. So it's always fascinating to me to kind of see what other people are really digging into. And did you find from obviously that big change from 19 into 20, did you find that the people that were using sort of people analytics tools were really starting to, to be able to use them differently when it came to things like the pandemic or like the social movements that we were seeing? Or did you find that they really weren't taking advantage of that?
2: In general, we saw them taking advantage. And I think what changed was, you know, we've been talking about employee engagement and experience for a long time, but you know, there's some data out there from actually right before the pandemic that showed only about a third of companies were properly, you know, surveying or keeping a finger on the pulse. I think that was a, a survey from Mercer that that found that. And but then when we saw with the pandemic, when everybody, you know, not everybody, but when large portions of the population started working from home, it was like the light bulb went off for CEOs and senior leaders like, hey, we actually need to understand what's happening here. And so what was really interesting was, you know, one, a lot of vendors who uh, maybe weren't necessarily in the engagement experience space, suddenly became in the engagement experience space. But two, um, the customers came out and said, we need we need help and we need it in a meaningful way. And so we saw um, a pretty significant uptake, particularly after that first dip. So think like, you know, basically Q2 of last year, but as people started to get to the end of Q2 and, and into the summer, they started uh, deploying a lot more of these technologies to understand what was happening. And then, you know, where the analytics component came in was they were doing it in a much greater level of granularity than we would have seen. And that picked up across the social justice movements because it became not just we need to know in general what's happening with people as they're working from home, but oh, maybe we should be thinking about what's happening with our Black employees, what should be happening with specific segments of the population as these events are happening. Um, so we did see a pretty significant uptake in um, both the technologies, but then also how they were being used.
0: Stasia, I think you mentioned, I'm um... You mentioned uh, part of what you started to do when you first launched these, uh, this research a couple of years ago was that was definitional, right? Trying to just yep. understand what this is. I think it might be useful for our audience if you could sort of just tell them or share with them just what classifies a provider of these technologies as a people analytics provider, as opposed to what I'm thinking, Stacia, is a more general analytics provider, which you may yeah. be able to use to analyze, quote unquote, people data. And maybe there's no difference. Maybe I'd love for you to tell me how you approach those definitions and, and just defining this, uh, this market.
2: Yeah. So the way that we look at a people analytics technology is that it is specifically designed for people analytics, for people data right? So there are plenty of technologies that have a people data use case. So think a Tableau or a Power BI or the like, but they are not necessarily designed specifically for people data. And part of the reason that that's an important distinction is the way that people data change means that it's hard to kind of just think about it in a um, a single tabular format. So there's, there's just a lot more changes that happen with our data, and we need to be able to understand how those changes happen over time. So, you know, if if Trish started out as a senior manager at a company, we want to know, you know, when did she get promoted to, a you know, a, a director and then to a VP, and what were all the f- things that happened along her journey? And that's just a different type of data than what gets classified in, in some of these other systems. And so we think it's important to, to specifically have that focus on people data um, not just a people data use case
1: yeah I think that's really valuable thank you for sharing that with the listeners because I think too a lot of you know um, HR practitioners especially have maybe multiple systems that they're dealing with that are still maybe not you know not integrated uh, with each other and so having an understanding I think of, of what you either might need if you don't have it in order to be making these sort of assessments and then recommendations um, or maybe you even have something that can handle people analytics, but you're not taking advantage of it. I think people might fall into those buckets. So mm-hmm. um, it's good to have an understanding of how that really differs from just maybe another type of analytics. Um, for me, you know, it's interesting as you were kind of talking about things. I was thinking about um, it. Almost seems a little bit like maybe the area of people analytics is this is a little bit of a silver lining from the pandemic and and unfortunately from maybe some of the social injustices that we've seen Um, because a lot of times we don't start measuring things until there is a problem or a perceived Mm -hmm. problem, right? Um, What kind of feedback are you getting from, whether it's from the vendors and maybe what you're hearing about their clients, or maybe just with, you know, HR leaders or other business leaders you're talking to, how are they feeling about having this information maybe that they weren't tracking before, because you mentioned that, you know, this was maybe the wake up call for some of the CEOs to think, oh, we need to get a little more granular. What kind of feedback are you hearing from the people now that are actually measuring it? Are they are they finding it challenging or enlightening? What are you hearing?
2: <laughs> yeah, I think that for a lot of, because I spend a lot of time talking to people, analytics leaders, in addition to HR leaders. And for mm-hmm. a lot of the people, analytics leaders, it's been incredibly empowering because they, know you know what gets measured gets gets done and yet they haven't necessarily had the same pull from the business to get that data um, and for it to be something that's used to, to make business decisions so for a large segment of, of people analytics leaders who have just kind of been on the you know earlier side of maturity if you will this has been you know like you said a silver lining this has been a this has been a great thing um, that said, it is it's not easy you know the people analytics it's it's a newer function in a lot of organizations. um there's a process of just you know you've got data everywhere and and how do we bring it together? how do we do that in a way that's sustainable? so it's a Product, not a project. It's something that we're doing on a continuous basis and using it to make decisions, and that we're doing it in a way that we can uh, have scale. Because lots of people like to have their own customized dashboard or their customized project, and and you know, people analytics team is usually reasonably small. And so, how do you do that at scale? Um, so it is both hard, but also I think encouraging. Um, for people analytics leaders. And then I think it's been incredibly enlightening for a lot of HR leaders because many of them, you know, they don't know what data they have and the power that they can harness to make better decisions. And so having, you know, this combination of a push from the or a pull from the business and these leaders coming together to share with them new insights that they didn't know possible is really making HR, it's giving HR a superpower. And I think that's a really powerful thing that's come out of the last- last year.
1: Yeah. One quick follow-up to that, just to maybe clarify, you, you mentioned that there are definitely organizations that have people analytics leaders. What kind of titles are, are those leaders kind of embracing at this point? Um, and then I wonder for companies that maybe don't have those roles yet, is that something that you think that they should be having regardless of what size they are? So kind of a two-parter question.
2: Yeah. So I think what we tend to see is when you, when you bring in Um, a people analytics leader who's going to probably build out your function they tend Mm -hmm. to come in and a director level if you will so a director of people analytics maybe a VP of people analytics kind of depending on their previous experience Um, and then they will build out the team underneath that so the actual data analysts so the people who are are managing the the details of the data the people who are um consulting with the HR business partner or with the business directly um, so those will be you know people analytics consultants Um, and then then you'll have kind of others who are doing some more of the uh the tech work and, and maybe the the product design because it really is like designing a product like we think about it as an HR technology product. Um, so so those, are, those are kind of the components that we see underneath that person who gets brought in initially to, to bring out the team. And do I think that HR leaders should have this or should be looking to bring these people in? Absolutely. Like you can't run finance without numbers. We shouldn't be running right. HR without numbers, right? We have got, we have got to be doing this. Um, it is one of the hottest jobs in HR, Like trying to find a people analyst, a people analytics analyst, or somebody to lead one of these groups. Um, at the moment, it's a pretty tight community, and um, and so it's sometimes hard to find to bring people over. But there's a lot of people coming out of school who are really interested in this space. So you know, it's just a matter of kind of opening your eyes and and thinking about people's experience maybe a little bit differently and how they can build these, uh, these functions.
0: Yeah, great, Stacia. One of the things, um. That you cover in the research is the actual market itself, the provider market itself. I wonder if you could just give us a little quick overview of, uh, for, again, for folks who may not be as familiar, right? because everybody's familiar with the HRIS systems. The, right? We all know all the applicant tracking systems around forever. I get the feeling or the impression that the average person or the average listener or, or someone maybe just beginning to explore some of these technologies may not be as familiar with this particular subset of the HR tech market. So I wonder if you could just share just some overview about how many vendors are there, about how big it is, the maturity level of some of them, et cetera, just some thoughts on the market itself.
2: Yeah. So in terms of the size of the market, um, for this study, we identified 121 vendors within within the market. Um, and that is not comprehensive. Like th- we published that in December, I've probably already added another 10 or 15 in the first three months of 2021 um so so it's big um in 2018 we when we first started this research we identified 89 vendors so you can kind of see that it's been been pretty Mm -hmm. significant growth um in terms of the market size we estimated it and this is based on the revenue numbers that we collected from the vendors we estimate the overall market size at 2 billion and um, a fifty-five percent Kager, so compound annual growth rate for the last four years. And then, a, if we just look at the last year, twenty nineteen to twenty twenty, we saw thirty-five uh, percent revenue growth.
0: Yeah, so, that's huge. I, I, you know, I follow the space fairly closely too, right? For what I do, and uh, I wouldn't have guessed there were that many, um, yeah. because I mean, I mean, I think it could be, is, or maybe I'll ask you, Stacey. Is is it like some other elements of the HR tech market where it's a little bit dominated by? eight or 10 bigger players and then there's lots of folks playing around the edges of it? Or is it not that way?
2: Um, So I don't think it's there yet because I don't think it's matured to, to that point. So we think about, there's basically, I think in the, in the report we say there are eight different categories. And so, um, and many of those categories focus on a certain thing. So employee engagement vendors, employee experience vendors, right. Um, Workforce strategic workforce planning vendors, uh, are some of them, but then there's also in um, this group that we call multi-source analysis platforms. And that's a bit of a mouthful. I could probably use a marketer to help me <laughs> have a better name. Um, but, but they're folks that aggregate data that bring in data. They are not themselves, um, producing data. So data mm-hmm. integrators. So that would be like a Vizier or a, uh, uh, splash BI or cruncher, which is in the, um, in Europe. so uh, But but to answer your point, in each of those categories, there's a few dom- kind of dominant players and then um, quite a few startups. We got a lot of young companies in this yeah. space. So you see that, yes, in, in um, those multi-source analysis platforms, you definitely see it in engagement. Um, but if you go and you look at organizational network analysis, which is a technology that allows you to see how people kind of interact and the strength of their connections, that is pretty wide open. There's a lot of smaller vendors, some of them really good, but there isn't a dominant player.
0: Yeah. Great. Thank you, Stacia. I mean, I think uh, when it's a complex market and a a diverse market and a growing market, right, that presents challenges for HR, HRIT, whatever the title is, new directors of people analytics (laughs) say, to really figure out what's the right solution or set of solutions for their organization, what are some of the recommendations that you may give for someone in that position, whether they're really, really early, like just beginning their research process, which I tell them to read your report, probably that's probably (laughs) step one, but like to just really try to, what, what am I thinking about? What's important to an organization when they're evaluating technologies and then selecting technologies that they may implement for this function?
2: Yeah, I think the first thing, and and we say this, I think all of us probably say this for anybody implementing new tech, but it's, you know, figure out what are the challenges you're actually trying to solve? Um, Because there's so much cool stuff, so much flashy stuff, right? And so it's easy to just kind of gravitate towards that, you know, does it have AI? Does it have this? Does it have that? Um, But we spend a lot of time saying, okay, what is the challenge you're trying to solve overall? And what's your specific context for your for your business. So for some of them, particularly because some of these new technologies, um, can feel, uh, on the edge of what we may be comfortable with from an ethical or a data privacy or security perspective. So it's important to think about what's what's your organization's culture around that? How open are you to experimenting with some of these new technologies as you try to solve this problem? So what's the context that your own organization is operating in, particularly from a data privacy security ethics com- uh, component? So that, that's one thing we talk about the challenges in the context. Um, second is support and services. How much do you need? You know, you you mentioned some companies are just starting to build up their team. So they are likely going to need to rely on their vendors quite a bit more for support. And um, we found about 60% of vendors are will charge for that additional support, but 40% roll it into implementation with the mm-hmm. expectation that that people will be able to operate on their own. So where do you fit? And does the vendor offer what you need? And then the third point in kind of gets back to my first one a little bit, but it's around ethics. So there's very different perspectives on the ethical aspects of this data and how it should be used, how it should be shared. And vendors themselves have very different perspectives. And so you want to make sure that there's an alignment on that point, or at least that you're clear as a buyer, this is what we're okay with. This is what we're not okay with and making sure that gets built in.
1: Yeah. I'm really glad that you mentioned some of those things in terms of the partnership, because I think that's something to like you said, we find find really flashy things that are very interesting, but it doesn't really align with who we are as a company. And so that's always important. I think the other thing too, just to add on there is just to make sure you, you know about the technologies you're already using and do they already have some of those capabilities too. I've been in companies where we've found that, you know, we go out and try and buy something and it's like, oh, we actually already kind of had it and we just didn't know about it maybe because it's a predecessor of yours or another department has bought something that that will work well so that's always a good starting point too
2: yeah we've been talking about that actually quite a bit with the diversity equity inclusion belonging tech that we're Mm -hmm the study that we're doing there, because we've seen it's ex- as impressive as the growth has been with people analytics tech, we've seen even more growth with the DEIB tech. And um, a lot of that has meant that vendors have added features that enable um, folks to do particular types of analysis or to focus in specific ways related to DNI, and um, And so we're spending a lot of time telling people, look at what you have. And I think that's that's definitely the case too, because we're seeing much more robust capabilities or more embedded analytics in some of the existing tech that people have. So I think it's it's a great piece of advice, Trish, to look at what you have first.
0: Yeah, because that actually that's similar, Trish, to what I was thinking, Stacia, as well. Like uh, especially at a larger enterprise who may be using one of the big kind of Mm -hmm. global foundational HRIS type uh, systems, right? Which we all know their names, right? Who all have their own forms of analytics slash reporting and dashboards and decision support tools embedded throughout them at various levels i imagine there's always conversations that happen at these larger enterprises right In- internal right to say well why do we need another tool for x when we have y kind of thing and there's trade-offs and i, I suppose uh, based on some of your early comments station that there are some very specific things that these uh, people analytics providers, at least the, the good ones, can provide that go above and beyond kind of the, I don't know, the standard analytics tools that sort of come prepackaged with these big enterprise solutions.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think um, a lot of it gets into the specific capabilities of those tools from an analytical perspective. So, you know, just giving you a dashboard that tells you current state doesn't give you any sort of predictive insight into if we continue as we are, what's going to happen or, you know, different scenarios that you might want to look at. You know, if we increase our investment in this area of the business, et cetera. And so, you know, if, if that's important to you and hint, I think it's important, it should be important <laughs> to you. Um, you know, you may want to look at some of these, these other technologies um, the other thing that's really shifted too is um, the users of these tech, because and we've seen that a lot with the pandemic. But it used to be it'd be like a you know people analytics person, a, a people geek, if you will, you know going and crunching the numbers and doing it. But that is not the case anymore. This information is increasingly being democratized. So you need to have a solution that will uh, make it easily accessible and understandable to, yes, your HR business partner, but to your business leader, to your managers, and increasingly to employees. And some of these technologies, they were built with HR in mind, which is great, but they don't democratize very well. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm glad you mentioned that because that was going to be part of my next question around. I know one of the key findings was that some of these solutions or many of the solutions are not as user-friendly as maybe the vendors think they are. What kind of advice are you giving either to to the vendors on the side of what they need to be thinking about to make them more user-friendly and usable, or on the flip side to someone who's buying these technologies? Like what I don't know. Are there any cautionary things to look for or kind of be aware of as you're as looking at usability?
2: Yeah. So for the vendors, we're spending a lot of time talking to them about being very clear on the user personas. So the the interesting that's the thing that's interesting is that a lot of these technologies, as I said, started out being targeted at the people analytics leader, and then there was almost an assumption. And I don't know that it was explicit, but an assumption that okay, we'll just like make the same stuff available to HR or we'll just peel back a few things and we'll make it available to the business, right? But that's mm-hmm. not how those folks use the data. They use, they have just a fundamentally different process of accessing the data and the decisions that they're trying to make. And therefore they really need from just a product design perspective a specific use case for them, um, and so in a specific persona. And so we were advising a lot of the vendors to go back and rethink what their personas are and how they expect people to actually use these these data. Um, on the on the buyer side, we basically do the same thing. We say, okay. Who are, your, who are your buyers or who are your users going to be? And how do you expect them to use the technology? And does the technology actually, is it intuitive for those users? Because we all know if it's not intuitive, if you can't make the decisions and understand quickly, mm-hmm. you're just gonna go do something else. Um, so we're really kind of pushing them to understand how the tech's gonna be used and what we expect people to do with it.
0: Yeah, awesome, really? Station, that's great. Last thing for me is, Anything kind of bubbling up either that you saw in the research from 2020, or maybe you've picked up in the first quarter or so of 2021, that's either emerging or getting more important, or maybe it's brand new, like that you're seeing in this space that you, which is what's interesting to you right now in this space.
2: Yeah. So one of the things we've kind of identified with Red Thread, three mega trends that we're seeing happening this year. One is analytics broadly. Um, Second one is diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging. And then the third is skills and so the thing we didn't get to with this research we kind of saw it but weren't able to get to it is a real focus on skills technologies and what we should be doing with them because skills on them their own are you know kind of interesting but not that interesting (laughs) but when you start to connect them to other things like your workforce plan or your needs for training and development like that's when the concept of skills gets more interesting and so we're looking at um creating a report and that looks at all the different vendors and kind of the different areas of HR um, and pulling together, how should you think about skills tech and and the analytical capabilities underneath that? So um, we actually, I think I told you all before we launched our own podcast and uh, season one is called the skills obsession because that is like for us so important. And so it's part (laughs) of our research journey to understand what's happening with skills and analytics underneath it.
0: Yeah, that's very cool station. Trish, that's like, A large part of the conversation we just had on our last show with Robin, J2000, right? And this this was like, uh, you know, the future of work kind of stuff that Robin Mm -hmm. does and and, and at Mercer and with the World Economic Forum. But a large part of that was dissecting and breaking down jobs and job holders into more discrete objects, which could be referred to as skills, certainly. Uh, I'm not sure Robin called them that, but maybe he did. I don't know. But uh, we were just talking about that.
2: Yeah, no, exactly. For instance, I was just speaking with um, a vendor who has a workforce planning solution. And right now they're still doing workforce planning by by role or title. You know, you need a product manager, you need this, you need that. But I yeah. don't think that's going to be how we're talking about this in five years. We're going to yeah. be talking about, okay, we need somebody who can do user experience for, you know, whatever, 30% of the project. And we need them at 50% time for that. Like, I think we're just going to aggregate things down into yeah. smaller pieces. Um, the question is, is, where's the line between smaller pieces that are useful and smaller pieces that's minutia and too much detail and i think that's something we have to figure out
0: yeah yeah and And
2: i'll
1: tell you i think just from having lived it uh in hr we wanted this years ago i mean i i go all the way back to time at pwc or my my job after that where i was a director of hr for a a pr firm and then we would look at a specific skill like for a project it wasn't so much about roles and we had literally no way to find it our way to find a skill I'm talking about like in a global organization, we would actually send emails around to each office saying, hey, do you have someone who speaks Portuguese and also can, you know, as a Java developer or whatever. And so that's what's exciting to me is that some of these things that HR leaders have needed forever are really able to be put into play now. So that's what... I think is so exciting and seeing it come, come to fruition. Finally.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited. I hope they do get rid of some of the job sort of job descriptions or roles um, in the, in the format that they were in and, and really focus on what people are needed to do in the, in the jobs that are right in
0: front of them. So, yeah. Definitely. Good stuff. Great stuff, Stacia. This has been super fun. Great to check in. Uh, Like I said, I think it's been about a year since we had you on the show. So uh, I love to uh, catch up with some of our friends and get caught up on what they're doing and what's happening in the space for folks who want to learn more about red thread research. And this study in particular, we'll send them to redthreadresearch.com. Right. And also to find Stacia at LinkedIn, Twitter, wherever else, send her a letter, you know, in the places. (laughs) Smoke signals, carry your it at the grocery store in the donut line.
2: <laughs> That's <out> right.
0: <laughs> and I know, Stacia, I don't know what's going to happen between now and then, but I know I'll see you at HR tech. We've been talking yes. about that. And so you'll be one, you'll be, you'll be there and we'll all be there. It's going to be super fun back in person in September. So we're looking forward to that too.
2: So am I. Thank you both so much for having me today. Awesome.
0: Great, great stuff. Good to see you. So, all right, Trish, fun. Love it. I know. I
2: love this stuff. You know me, because this is
0: like
1: the, again, all the things that, that I wasn't able to do very well when I was actually doing HR. It's like now it's
0: hearing about them. It's very exciting. So, absolutely. So, thank you again, to Stacia. Thank you, Trish. Thanks to our friends at Paychecks, of course, paychecks.com right. for all the good stuff there. I wear my Paychecks hat almost every day because they're so cool. So, um, thank you, everybody, <laughs> for listening. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. We will see you next time and bye for now.